This is Paul Schneiderman today on the 24th edition of Sports and Stuff on Rainier Avenue Radio. Today I have two very special guests. Two of my favorites. The guests are Jason Reed and Adam Brown. Uh, both gentlemen are probably mostly known as the producers of the acclaimed and award-winning 2009 documentary Sonicscape, which was later in about 2012 adopted into a CNBC version of the film. The film focuses pretty much on all aspects of the Seattle Supersonics' departure from Seattle in 2008. Uh, Jason Reed over here works as a producer, uh, editor, and director. Uh, Jason's company is 2R Productions. Jason has worked with uh, major companies such as Costco, New York Times, and Amazon, and he's been involved in many movies and short documentaries. Jason, thank you for coming on Sports and Stuff on Rainier Avenue Radio. Awesome, Paul. Awesome. Uh, great to be here. Uh, we've been wanting to get on the show for a while. Well, it's great to have you guys. Adam Brown over here is a Western Wash University graduate. Adam uh, also does work at 2R Productions. Adam is also the owner of the film production company Lucid Vision Media. Adam has his own marketing company, Press and Promotion. Adam, thank you for coming on Sports and Stuff on Rainier Avenue Radio. Thanks, Paul. Good to see you again. Absolutely. These guys have collaborated on multiple films and short documentaries. We're not going to be able to get into all of them today, but a couple of them are Dirtbag, The Legend of Fred Becky, Sonic Skate, of course, The Ultimate Upset, The fin Finishing Line, Breaking the Ice, Backfire, How to Destroy a Presidential Candidate. I want to share, I've known both these gentlemen now for over a decade since the Save Our Sonics movement was going on. Um, I, today we're going to have a chance to chat with Adam and Jason about their careers, their films, and their thoughts on, on various issues. I want to tell you guys something, the listeners. So uh, when, when I got the show going last summer, one gentleman was kidding me. He said, Paul, let me give you some advice. Don't be like the way the news networks are focusing on the Russian investigation. Don't focus only on the Sonics issue. That, that was some advice I got. But you know what? Today, guys, I make an exception. How's that? <laughs> Sounds good. We're always down. Good. All right, guys. Well, thanks for coming up. Let me start with you, Jason, real quickly. And I believe you did some prior films before you met Adam? Yeah, we uh, worked on a film called Manzo, Beijing to Shanghai in 2008. I uh, went over to China and bicycled from Beijing to Shanghai a thousand miles and sort of made a documentary about the experience going 15 miles per hour, three feet off the ground, and seeing China outside of the big coming out to the world like they had with the Olympics that year. Well, I got to tell you, Jason, I saw that movie. It was a terrific movie. And one thing I want to share with you, and this is in a way a salute to the late Anthony Bourdain, you had a little Anthony Bourdain style focusing on the food aspects, the culture, and you, you sort of you, you went way beyond just purely the uh, World Book Encyclopedia part of China. Yeah, we really went in just sort of cold without any expectation and want the trip itself to reveal what we found. So we didn't really go in with any preconceived notions other than trying to see what China's really like outside of the big cities. And so when we ran across strange food customs, then sure, that was part of the story. You know, when we ran across migrant workers or crazy development in some of the towns along the way, that was part of our story when people were taking pictures of us, having seen no white people for, you know, five to ten years in that area. It was uh, that was all part of the experience and we were just open to it. Well, it was a great travel film. It was a way to learn more about a culture. I really enjoyed it. OK, Adam and Jason, I believe both of you guys met in the Save Our Sonics movement, right? That's right. We met at uh, Save Our Sonics meeting for the first time in 2008. Eight, uh, so we were just huge Sonics fans and wanted to do anything we could to help save the team. I had reached out to Brian Robinson, a mutual friend of ours, and said, "Hey, I want to, you know, join and I have some skills in, you know, marketing or media journalism type things." And uh, Jason had the film skills and showed up to a meeting with some cameras. And sort of the rest is history. You know, it, it took about a year 
later for us to actually figure out, you know, okay, we're going to produce this documentary. But the, that was the root of it at that Save Our Sonics meeting over there. Uh, I want to say it was in a, like a library in Mercer Island or something like that. Well, I remember the history. I didn't remember exactly you guys met, but we all met about 11 years ago. So it's uh, fun to have you guys on. This is Paul Schneiderman of Sports and Stuff on Rainier Avenue Radio with my special guests, the producers of Sonicsgate, Jason Reed and Adam Brown. All right, guys. So tell me, I know a little bit about the story, but share with the listeners, how did the whole Sonicsgate movie get going? Jason, go first and Adam. Well, you know, when the team was basically clearly trying to get out of town, Clay Bennett being the, the team because he owned it at that time, I just started making little videos. I was showing up at rallies. Just I was also recording press conferences and things on the TV because I, in the back of my mind was if the team left, I wanted to hold the parties accountable who were clearly either lying to our face or the team was going to get saved. And I just kind of wanted to document. I didn't have a master plan because I didn't know what the outcome was going to be. But once the team left, it was the you know it was clear in my head that this had to be made at some point. But I was in the middle of making the China film, so you know I think the songs left in July. I went to China in, in September and October and came back, edited that film for six to nine months, and that's when Adam and I kind of reconnected, and it became clear that um, we wanted to make this film. We wanted to interview as many people as we could to tell the story, and. We just started no real budget, just calling people from Gary Payton on down the line to try to get as many people as we could. I believe we interviewed Paul Schneiderman for the film as well. For better or worse, that's correct. <laughs> Adam, so when, when Jason, did Jason approach you about doing the Sonic Skate thing? Or was it just kind of, you guys like basically contemporaneously at the same time decided to do it? It was one of those universe worlds collide moments of just kind of fate, I want to say, because... Uh, you know, I was actually unemployed at the time. I had recently been laid off from a software marketing job and was living with my parents trying to figure out what I wanted to do with the next steps of my life. And uh, there, at that time, the team was gone and I planned a party. It was a show uh, called Senate or uh, at Numos called the Sonics Tribute Show. And it was trying to raise support for Senate Bill 6116 which was going to hold Clay Bennett accountable for that final $30 million that he eventually got the, uh, off the Remember hook from yeah. at Key Arena. So I got a bunch of uh, local hip-hop people who were supportive of the cause. Shout out Nima, Grinch, Spaceman. Uh, got a bunch of people together, planned the show at Numos to try and help Senate Bill 6116 got passed. And then I found Jason's business card. I was like, oh, this guy should totally come film this. And he agreed to do it. And then... Uh, about a month or so later, I was like, hey, let's look at this footage. And I went over, and that was when Sonicsgate, in effect, you know, really took off. And we started actually calling people and booking interviews and, uh, you know, doing this documentary. I think that we really didn't have any idea that it would become what it became. Uh, we thought it was just going to be this sort of cathartic, primal scream. We thought we might get nine or ten interviews, and it would be just sort of a, a locally It went viral, thing. basically. Totally, and and we ended up doing forty something interviews. I think forty three when all was said and done, and uh, yeah, it, it really became this sort of focus for fans to put all of their anger and their fandom somewhere, and eventually, you know, pull the jerseys back out of the closet and wear them in the streets again, and and became a, a sort of a rallying cry for the fans to not give up and to continue supporting. 
you know, bringing the team back. And here we are 10 years later, multiple arena deals later, and, and trying to actually finally bring this to a conclusion. Well, I got a couple more questions on the whole Sonics Gate and Sonics issue for you guys. And it, it's an award-winning documentary. Great film. Paul Schneiderman of Sports and Stuff on Rainier Avenue Radio with my special guest, Jason Reed Adam Brown. So in the film, you guys focused on basically four people who played different roles in the Sox departure. The former owner, Howard Schultz, who sold the team, the Oklahoma City Group. Spooks. David David Stern, the commissioner. Spook, spook. Clay Bennett, the Oklahoma <laughs> owner, moved the team. And the former mayor, Greg Nichols. So one thing was wah, interesting wah. in the film, guys, is that neither of these four gentlemen would agree to be interviewed for the film. In a way, you guys were like, here's a legal analogy. In a way, you guys were like prosecutors who prosecuted the case against the defendants who, who remained silent and refused to talk. Looking back, you guys think that the fact they didn't talk made the movie stronger in a way? Yeah, I guess in some ways. I mean, we wanted to get them as interview subjects, but we already had enough of their damning words to right. hold them accountable. And that's what we did. If you aren't going to agree to interview with us well we're going to use the words that are out there and those are the press conferences i spoke of earlier that i was kind of capturing live that weren't necessarily even recorded anywhere after the live broadcast so we were some of the few people that had the record and and it was obvious once the team left that pretty much all those guys lied and betrayed the fans and the citizens of seattle um probably none worse than howard schultz but they're all pretty bad and what do you think you think those guys remaining silent those four main Characters remaining silent actually maybe long-term help the film in a way? I would say so. I think silence is damning, and they certainly were villains. You know, we, we did interview people who were, quote-unquote, on the other side, like Chris Van oh, Dyke, sure. right, uh, right. The, the leader of Citizens for More Important Things, who we certainly disagreed with all of his uh, actions, but we appreciated him coming out to interview with us, and, and we tried to portray his side of the story as fairly as possible. Same thing with uh, Brad... Keller, the a lawyer for Clay Bennett, who well, I've gotten to know a little bit, by the way, but that's another story. Yeah, so we, you know, part of this is is bringing some journalistic objectivity. Even though we were fans, we wanted to portray everything as it happened and not let anybody off the hook. So I think those four guys you mentioned uh, not agreeing to interview ultimately made them look bad. Now, if I was their PR representative, I'd probably say don't do the interview too. So uh, right, can't right. really blame them for that. But yeah, I mean, their actions are going to haunt them forever in this case, and we made sure of that with the documentary. Go ahead, Jason. And let's not let the Washington State, Washington State legislature off the hook. Frank Chop, even Gregoire at the time, those guys really let us down. If they would have approved that last $75 million component in 2008, we would have had a Senegal um, you know, owned basketball team along with Balmer potentially. If Clay Bennett sold, though. Well, I know, but we could have forced the hand if if the state would have allowed it, and the state was the obstructionist at that point. We'll never know. All right, guys, another question or two about this whole Sox issue. I do want to hit on some other stuff, and we have so much time. But um, there's been a lot has happened since the Sonics left. Of course, Chris Hansen stepped up in an effort to build the Soto Arena and move the Kings to Seattle. The last decade or so, there's there's been a lot that's gone gone on. So I got a question for both of you guys. So if you guys were to make a Sonic's Gate two sequel based on what's happened the last decade since the team has left, Adam, go thirty seconds. What would you put in there, Jason? Would you put in there? Give me thirty seconds each, guys. Well, I'll just say that we have always had in mind that there might be a sequel and that the ending would be the team gloriously coming back to huge celebration from everybody. Uh, and so we've been, you know, continuing to document what's been going on. The, the Chris Hansen Arena deal, the whole Sacramento situation, 
uh, all the way up through you know the battles with the Port of Seattle and the Occidental Street vacation, and now the Liwicky Group, uh, Oakview, coming through to the Key Arena deal. I mean, a lot of stuff. You know, just so many twists and turns. It's hard to actually quantify or, or you know bring it all together in a point by point basis. So yeah, there's certainly plenty of fodder there to have a sequel and. You know, we're, we're kind of having it in the back of our minds that we might do that. We maybe, just, maybe a short documentary, Jason? Well, sequel, maybe? I, I know. I think it's worthy of a full documentary, or at least the length of the Sonic's Gate CNBC cut, which is like a TV hour, 45-minute right, right. cut. Um, I just – I think that uh, it's definitely worthy of discussing, and it's, it's there's a lot of – the saga keeps going, but I you, we make these movies usually once there's an ending, and then you can kind of actually see the arc of the story. I don't know if Oakview is going to come through. I don't know if they're going to come up with – Problems. I don't know if like they aren't able to secure a team, but Chris Hansen is, and maybe he's going to push Soto. Maybe Ballmer's going to move the Clippers up here. So it's like really hard for us to like go too far down the rabbit hole of making a Sonic Skate two until we know how it resolves. And as of now, there's still absolutely no resolution in terms of gaining a team back. Well, actually, that's a sideway to my next question. You know, there's a lot of sentiments in Seattle, especially among basketball fans, that Chris Hansen has not been treated fairly with his Soto proposal. The city council in 2016, of course, turned down his street vacation. Where are you guys at right now on this whole Soto versus Kiarina debate? And I'll throw in something. I, I My sympathies are personally still with Soto and Chris Hansen's plan. But, hey, the Kiarina guys do have a formal expansion application commitment for the NHL. What, what do you guys think? Is it just time to move on to Kiarina now? It's Adam a tough Hick. thing because Chris Hansen came out of nowhere. I mean, really, at that point, it was just the fans and these fan groups, you know, the grassroots trying to – do these rally cries to bring a team back. And then Hanson came out with actual money and actual plans and got the deal in Soto approved by both councils and had partnerships with the mayor. And really he is a hero to the city of Seattle, no matter what happens from here. Uh, And it's really unfortunate that, you know, he was treated that way and and that a, a measly little street vacation was the ultimate thing that shot his deal down. Which the city uh, could have gotten like $20 million from. Yeah, I mean, it's it's really ridiculous, as as has been, you know, sort of beaten to death over the years. The, there's no actual traffic problems that would have been caused by shutting that street down. It's a tiny little alley that's pretty much never used. And, you know, the benefits of having the arena there would far outweigh anything. Plus, he was throwing in millions and millions of dollars to try and mitigate any traffic issues. Um, so we were fully in support of Chris Hansen and that plan the whole time. It should have gone through. Uh, it was a heartbreaking 5-4 vote by the city council that shot it down. And so at that point, we had to sort of pick up the pieces and look at the new emerging deal, which was OVG and the Tim Laiwiki group. And, you know, that, that seems like a great plan as well with uh, obviously issues with that site. You know, traffic is a major issue. There's going to be you know, issues with doing it in a neighborhood as opposed to the Soto area, which is zoned for stadiums. Um, But they seem to have all the momentum now. And as fans, we just want a team back. So, you know, we're going to step back and let the billionaires and the politicians work out the deal and we're going to hold them to the fire. But, uh, you know, if Tim Laiwiki and the OVG group really can bring a team back, then they'll be heroes too. Paul Schneiderman of Sports and Stuff on Rainier Avenue Radio with the producers of Sonic Skate, Jason Reed, Adam Brown. I got a great producer today, James Gerd. So, Adam, let me uh, kind of follow up with you with, or sorry, Adam, um, Jason, let me follow up with you with a question. Um, do you think that 
although Hansen has got a raw deal on many levels that many of us believe, as Adam has pointed out, you think that this sounds a little Shakespearean, it's all fair in love and war a little bit. I asked Mike Gaston a similar question. Do you think it's just, it may not be fair, but is Hansen going to ever actually get teams, even if he gets the street vacation one day? Is it just time to go with Kirina? Well, I haven't heard anybody in the Wiki group who wants to come up and own an NBA basketball team. They're very NHL-focused. So right now, our guy who wants and has the resources to get a team is Chris Hansen. Until OVG announces, okay, Bruckheimer and these guys are going to do an NBA team, but they're explicitly NHL only. Now, I have no doubt that if they get the arena finance that they are going to find somebody who wants a team. But then the question is, how do we get a team? You know, so far, Silver's still saying the company line. No expansion, but that's until there is. And I think we are getting closer and closer. I think there's a lot of like markets. I mean, Vegas this year with hockey just absolutely proved themselves. Oh, yeah. A, a, a great market, and Seattle's a great market. They could easily add two teams, move New Orleans and Memphis to the east where they should be, and have the two new West Coast teams, Las Vegas and Seattle. And I think that that's a no-brainer for the league in the next two years. I know that Mexico City and some other, you, you know, London even are, are things that have been floated around. But to me, that's more of a next step. I think they need to remedy the situation in Seattle. And I think Vegas is a logical other market to add. Some think an NHL first scenario may be the way to get an NBA team here. We'll just have to wait and see. We'll so. just have to wait and see. But, I mean, you know, Balmer is still, you know, part owner of that land down in Soto. And he is fighting an arena battle of his own down in LA to get the Clippers into a better situation than what they have at Staples Center playing fourth fiddle to the hockey team, the Lakers and concerts. And so, you know, he's saying all the things that you would say years in advance if you were trying to get out of there, if you can't get a favorable deal done. And, you know, if Ballmer says, I want to move the Clippers there before expansion and before anything with Oakview, well, I know Hanson's committed to having Soto done. So I, I think the area is growing enough where we could support two arenas potentially. And there could be more stories ahead in the Sonics Gate 2 sequel. Well, I could talk to you guys about basketball for hours. We don't have a whole lot of time left. I want to move on to a couple of your guys' other projects. You guys um, have done a movie about the late Fred Becky, the famous climber. Um, he apparently was known as a pretty difficult and hard guy. But share with us a little about that film, Adam and Jason. Um, Go ahead, Jason. Yeah, so like we had a previous climbing film, K2, Siren of the Himalayas, which came out kind of 2012, 2013. And that was actually really successful for us. It got on Netflix and uh, had some major traction. And part of that, we screened up in Banff at one of the biggest outdoor film festivals in the world. And we saw Fred Becky speak and we're just blown away by this guy. Crazy character, amazing old films of guys just tying ropes around their knots and doing like early rock climbing in the 40s. And um, kind of put it on the whiteboard. We're always looking for new ideas and things that are local that have like greater reach than just local kind of like Songscape. And so it's down on our whiteboard for a while. And then I think we kind of cleared the path after a couple projects and started doing some research. And we found this guy, Dave Oleski down in Telluride. And he'd been shooting with Fred Becky for 10 years um, from age 83 up to age 93. And so we reached out to him. So we have a team of guys in Seattle. We've made all these docs. We don't just do climbing films. We do sports. We do politics. We do you know, a wide range of topics. And we think that we can help you put this together. And we ended up partnering with him and, you know, Adam and I came on as producers and I edited the, Saw the trailer. I can't wait to see it. Yeah. And it's, it's been a huge success. We premiered it about a year ago at mountain film and Telluride and at SIF. And since then we've screened it almost 300 times all over the world. We've won 21 awards, including a bunch of grand prizes. And we're marching towards a June, uh, July 3rd release on iTunes 
um, and then followed by DVD, Blu-ray, and hopefully a broadcast or, or some keep us informed. Did you meet him, Adam? Did you ever meet Fred? Beckett? Yeah, we got to work together a few times, and you know, Fred passed away last year, right. at the age of ninety-four. And so, one of the biggest thrills for us was that we finished the film, which ultimately Dave Oleski, the director, was working on for ten years, and then our team was working on for uh, almost three years uh, before Fred passed. And so we got to finish it, and we got to have Fred in a theater full of adoring fans watching the movie and see the film about his life before he passed away. So that was, you know, we knew we were kind of up It's great he the knew the movie came out. And, and, yeah, he was really supportive of everything, even though he, as you mentioned, he, he was a, a sort of difficult guy to work with at times. He was very focused on only climbing and women. Those were his two things that he was focused on. <laughs> and, you know, he stayed a bachelor until he passed away at 94. And there's sort of, uh, you know, legendary stories about him on the road and staying myopically focused on climbing and, and sort of, you know, the term dirtbag. Didn't seem like the warmest guy in the world. Unless you were a climber who he respected or a woman who he was interested in talking yeah, to, then suddenly he would light up. And, well, and you know, so if... But if he decided that you weren't a real climber, then, yeah, he wasn't going to talk to you I don't know if he talked to me then. But well, it, it was great to see, you know, uh, all the adore, uh, adoring fans come out and just the way this movie has been received. You know, he's a once-in-a-lifetime character. It's truly like one – if you had the exclusive documentary on Kareem Abdul-Jabbar or something like that, he's basically set the bar for the entire sport. And that was fascinating something guy. that Paul Schneiderman, uh, Sports and Stuff on Rainier Avenue Radio with Jason Reed and Adam Brown. All right, we, we don't have a whole lot of time left. I want to get to a couple of other, other, other films. So you guys made a movie that came out in 2017, The Ultimate Upset. And the documentary I watched yesterday, it's terrific. The documentary is focused on how until this year, 2018, no number 16 seed had ever beat a number one seed in the NCAA men's tournament. And the tournament format was established about 1985. So you guys made this movie that came out in 2017, but then this year in March 2018, Virginia lost University of Maryland, Baltimore County. Isn't it great the movie came out before that happened? What do you guys think, Adam? And yeah, Jason? we were really lucky or you know fortuitous in our timing of working with great 538 and interviewing Nate Silver and the five, working with the 538 team as well as ESPN Films. Uh, to produce that documentary in 2017, you know we're huge basketball fans, of course, and so looking at that stat, no number one seed has ever lost. When's it going to happen? What are the numbers? What are the indicators of this? And putting that together with them in 2017 was great. And then you know we go down to Vegas every year uh, for the opening weekend of March Madness with, a, with a crew of guys. Shout out to uh, Dirtbag producer Andy McDonough who puts that trip together every year great. and. Uh, it was amazing watching this year. Oh my gosh, it's hap It's gonna happen, and they just—it wasn't even like a close game, one bounce of the ball thing. Like they were ahead the whole game, and so you could see it happening. And um, wow, it was amazing that 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 record that you thought would never happen finally got shattered. And and now I wonder if when the next time it'll happen again. Jason, it's pretty cool. Then your movie came out a year before it, it, the streak ended. Yeah, I just wish that uh, we it would have happened that same year because we had a bunch of bets in Vegas that year oh, on all that we we went heavy on the 16s versus one because we're like what, it's gonna have to happen if we just release the movie a couple days before. But this year I didn't really have any bets on that particular game, so yeah, it was kind of tough. But yeah, I mean it was awesome working with uh, ESPN Films and 538 on that that piece. Tell us what's going on with the kicker. Uh, it's a documentary you guys are trying to make about the struggles NFL kickers go through. I, I can't wait to see what's going on with the kicker. Well, it's complicated thing because the NFL um, uh, 
basically we don't have a path forward until we get a distributor on board and a distributor wants the NFL on board. So we're paying a little bit of a chicken and egg thing, but where we're at is we've shot all the interviews and we have a rough cut of the film that we're waiting to figure out exactly a path forward um, to be able to use NFL footage and other materials in it. We just uh, went to Canton, Ohio last August for the pro football hall of fame where Morton Anderson, the main subject of our film got in as the second place kicker of all time in the Hall of Fame. He's the number one point scorer of all time. And that was a big motive for us making the film was to shine a light on this often unheralded position of the kicker. And the fact that Morton, after all these years, was able to finally get into the hall on and Adam and I were there to be able to film that and party with him and experience it was really cool. And now we have the ending to our movie. So we're working on raising some finishing funds for it and we hope that we can get it released this year, um, but it's it's a difficult thing because there are forces out of our hands with it. Can't wait to see it, Adam, the, the kicker. You and I have chatted about it a little bit off the air. It's just fascinating that the NFL kickers, like the leading point leaders of NFL players, it's just – but the kicker, I think part of the theme of your movie is they're they're kind of – dismissed almost right right it's such an interesting thing because they are the points leaders every year i think that it changes every year but i want to say the top 32 leading scorers of all time in the nfl are all kickers the first non-kicker is jerry rice and so that tells you how important they are to teams and you know in the nfl games are won and lost by just a couple points so you're talking extra points you're talking a field goal miss here or there that can make the difference but the fact that they don't hit people they're the smallest guy on the field, often smaller, kind of the average Joe in terms of build. And in the sport with these hulking gladiators who are just huge and, you know, built to hit people and all these things. So it's this real juxtaposition uh, and, and just the mental pressure that it takes to oh, be a sure. successful kicker. You know, there's all these stories like Scott Norwood who missed that kick in the Super Bowl for the Bills and was never really recovered from that mentally, even though he had otherwise a great career. Uh, you know, it's a, it's it's really hero versus go. It's unique in sports, and and so you know we're really excited about the film, and hopefully we can put the pieces together and and get it out this year. Well, I want to say some of you guys, and I've seen a lot of your movies and watched a lot of your documentaries. When the kicker comes out, I think it's going to be a really big deal, national big deal. That's my humble prediction here, guys. I think when, when that movie comes out, it's going to get a lot of attraction attention. You guys also did a movie on, on a little short documentary about Michael Dukakis' 1988 run for, for uh, President. I was a teenager in that era. Uh, Jason, tell us about that uh, short documentary real quickly. Yeah, that was uh, with uh, ESPN Films and 538 again. They were doing an election series because the, the – film production side um, is associated with ESPN films and we had licensed Sonic skate to them. So this was our first chance to work with them on an original project. And uh, we tracked down Michael Dukakis. We also tracked down Sam Donaldson, Mary Matlin and some of the um, operatives for each of the campaigns. And yeah, we got the opportunity to meet those guys and interview them and put together this really cool 30 years ago. Unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah. And we put together this piece that basically um, took a look specifically about the tank incident with Michael Dukakis, but kind of evaluating, like, can one single event in a campaign 
dictate who wins or loses. And, and a lot of people looked at that tank with Michael Dukakis looking goofy with the helmet and stuff and said that was the moment Michael Dukakis lost. But we took a look at the stats and just other elements of the campaign that were happening around then. Well, it was a great one. Great yeah, documentary. It was, it was Fascinating really cool story. to meet those guys. Guys, we don't have a lot of time left. Real quickly, Adam, about 15 seconds. 15 seconds for Jason. What does the future hold for Adam Brown and uh, your film career? And I'm going to ask Jason Reed the same question. Adam, go first. Well, we're continuing to work Dirtbag right now. We've got a couple of other uh, film projects just sort of in the background. We're hoping to finish The Kicker. This year, we've got a documentary with Casual Industries going. That's a, a clothing company based in Seattle with two brothers and kind of a crazy story of, of their forming that group uh, or that company out of the garage over 20 years. Um, got some other things in development that we can't really talk about on the air right now. But, yeah, it's, it's – it's, uh, been a fun partnership. Jason, throw in continue. 10 seconds. Any more to add? Uh, just have momentum on a new uh, family documentary shot over the course of 20 years uh, about a family in Seattle that I'm partnering with a filmmaker on that we're really excited about. We've started to get some grant money for it, and that's moving forward. It's a multi-year project, kind of like Dirtbag, so it'll be a couple years before that comes out. Jason Adams, it's been a pleasure to have you guys on. We'll be in touch. Thanks, Thanks Paul. Paul.